millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm from Atlanta, Georgia, and I'm a herpetologist. I travel frequently into the North Georgia mountains, up into the Helen area in the Chattahoochee Oconee National Forest. On this day, I was going there to observe some wildlife that I frequently study. This was last September 2016. It was approximately 5 or 6 o'clock in the evening, and as I was going to my usual sites, and I observed that there was no wildlife active. I didn't notice it at first, but I did later on and as I was walking. I walked up to a ridge, and I noticed there was something diagonal from me. It was on the ground, and it wasn't moving. I was about 20 to 25 feet away from it. I moved towards it, and it jumped up and spun around very quickly. I realized, you know, this was something very out of the ordinary, something I hadn't seen before. And it was sitting there, and it was staring at me, and some minutes had passed, and 
at this point in time, it was making moans or growls. It was making sounds close to that. That's the best way I can describe it. It was man, like it was approximately seven and a half to eight feet tall and four and a half feet from shoulder to shoulder. It was very large and bulky. Some might say it was eight. Like, but in my opinion, due to my studying various wildlife, it was not anything close to being an ape. It was like a man. There was absolutely nothing ape about it. Very muscular. The hands, the best I can describe, the hands are about a size 13 or 14 or maybe even larger, as far as trying to fit a ring on it. Very muscular. I cannot stress this enough. You could see the whites of the eyes, unlike other creatures. They were squinted and aggressive. The forehead was not ape-like. It was more homo sapiens than ape. It did have full body hair except for the hands and feet. There was hair on the knees and elbows. It had hair like a man. The teeth. I was able to observe the teeth as they were bared most of the time. The teeth were like a man's. They did have three or four canines, but they were worn and pretty nasty. I stood in front of this creature for a significant amount of time. I didn't know whether to run or just stand there or do whatever you do. Definitely this creature could outrun me. Like I was saying, the hands and the skin were tanned. They weren't black. I wouldn't even say dark brown. They were just tanned. It did have fingernails. Human-like. They didn't have blood on them. I was able to tell that. This was all happening, and as I was observing its hands, he was sizing me up. That's the best way I can describe it then picked up a log. I was able to observe that. He was most likely right, handed. I know this is going to be hard to believe, but it's true, and it chucked it in my general direction. Notice I said him. It did have male sexual organs. I was able to observe that. No tail. It walked upright. It had brownish, reddish hair. It was matted. I'm not 100% sure if it was due to the Georgia clay or if that was his actual hair color. I was able to observe it was a mix of brown and red. After it chucked the log at this point in time, I started backing up slowly. It didn't charge me or try to beat me or anything like that I was expecting. I was slowly backing up. There was a strong stench and body odor, somewhat that of a wet dog, but I'd say probably a hundred times stronger. I was backing up, and this all happened within two minutes, and I slowly started backing up down the ridge, and eventually I got out of sight, and I made a beeline back to where I came from. It was definitely real, beyond a shadow of a doubt. It was what some might say was a Bigfoot Sasquatch or whatever. It was not a man. It was not a native creature that's seen every day. Someone might make their own decision about it. That's all I got to say. There wasn't much to compare it to, but about 400 pounds. The forehead was sunken back, and the shoulders were more forward. It didn't have a proper human posture. It was definitely leaning more forward than straight up. It's rare to see somebody that would be as muscular as that creature. It was exhibiting more caution, on the verge of aggression. The eyes. I was able to observe the eyes did have more downright fear but there was aggressiveness there. The eyes were squinted, the breathing was rapid, and going by the noises the creature was making, it was threatened.
I have two stories. Hope I'm not too late to the party. I would like to preface this by saying I think my dog is my guardian angel. I was camping in Gloucester, Mississippi, on the Audubon's property when I was about six. We went with a group of entomologists, and they took up the whole main house, so we had to camp out in the forest. When we woke in the morning, my father left to go to the main house to get some breakfast. He left me in the tent with our dog and drove about four to five miles back. I was trying to go back to sleep when I was awoken to my dog growling and looking more freaked out than she had ever before. I heard something brushing itself up against the tent, going around and around. I grabbed my dog and pulled her into my sleeping bag as I quietly wept watching and listening as something was creeping around. As it began pushing against the tent harder and harder, I began to audibly sob, at which point I heard its terrible scream. It was a mountain lion. My dog kept growling and I kept crying for what seemed like hours. Finally, I heard my dad pull up in his old truck. I told him, and to this day, he does not believe me. He's one of those see-it-to-believe-it type of people. But my next story is something that started to make him believe. My dad used to take our dog with when he worked as a self-employed contractor in the uptown area of New Orleans. After work, he and my dog picked me up, so upon arriving to our house, it was approximately midnight. Our house is quite old and used to be owned by one of the members of the Marcelo family. The way the house is set up is the driveway is on the right side of the home, and as you go through the garage, it leads to our kitchen and then our dining room and living room and so forth. As soon as we unlocked the door, it was like we could feel it. Something was off, and my dog could tell it too. She started growling and was tugging at her leash. My dad shouted out, asking if anyone was there. We approved the dining room, which held an old circular table that came with the house. The table had around eight heavy chairs around it. As we got closer, my dog was no longer trying to get at something, but instead putting away. I picked her up, and just as I did, one by one, all of the dining room chairs pulled back, and the lights flipped off. After a few seconds, the lights flipped back on, and I looked at my dad. We both had astonished looks on our faces. I knew, since it had startled him, it was really something strange and cried. I cannot give any logical explanation as to why that happened. My boyfriend and I were driving through the mountains in Colorado, close to Copper Mountain, actually. It was the middle of the day, and we were listening to music, but we're both silent. Through the windshield, I noticed a bright circular light hovering at the same elevation of the surrounding canyon walls, probably 12,000 feet, or approximately 3,000 feet above the highway. I watched it for 15, 20 seconds. All of a sudden, it shot up and disappeared from view. My boyfriend said that he looked over and saw my face, and knew I saw it too. I think both of our jaws dropped. Now, I don't, I don't necessarily believe that a UFO means we witnessed anything extraterrestrial, but we definitely saw an unidentified flying object. I mean, Cheyenne Mountain is only about two half hours away from this spot. This happened a few years back, maybe four or five on a summer night, sleeping in my room, windows closed in a rural mountain area, but with plenty of houses and people around. 
It was maybe a Saturday night, the party night in the city. A very clear girl scream woke me up. It was coming from the road, I assume, and about fifty, sixty meters away from my house. She screamed three or four times, very loudly. Then I didn't hear anything else. Being a rural, quiet area that was creepy and clearly not something that would happen without some major event around it, I just assumed they were teenagers coming back from the club and maybe playing around, but I've got a nasty, creepy feeling that someone got canapped or worse right next to my house that night. It haunts me to this day that I never did anything, not even getting up and trying to look outside and maybe spot some car lights. I blame it on my sleepiness, maybe. The whole memory of it scares me to this day. Did not hear anything about it the next day, though. In 2008, my wife and I left California on a 40-feet sailboat intending to sail as far west as we could. We spent weeks at a time without contact with another human being. Shortwave radio was often our only link to civilization, and eventually we were too far south and west even for that. We passed New Caledonia and didn't know what to expect as we approached Australia in the third year of our tour. Of course, the Great Barrier Reef was on our charts, but we were sticking to shipping lanes to avoid grounding, so I was stunned when I took watch one calm morning and noticed a low, dark brown shape on the horizon. To the west and south, there seemed to be a massive sandbar or island that had risen out of nowhere. The sea was calm and the winds light, so we cranked the engine and motored the last mile to this uncharted barrier. As we got closer, it became clear that it fortunately wasn't above the surface, but it looked like a brown reef or bar or mass of logs that was only a few inches below the surface. But how could a reef so massive not exist on any chart? We swerved left and right looking for channels or breaks in the bar, but our depth sounder stayed pegged, so we had nothing to guide us through. We had no way of asking anyone whether it was safe to proceed, so when the reef no longer had any gaps to aim for, we tentatively poked the bow into it with the engine in neutral. No grinding, no shudder. Just silence as the reef enveloped us, and our finicky depth sounder still stared back at us blankly. So I ran to the transom, intending to put on a mask and look below, but then I saw that it was just a brownish tint to the water, some chemical or brown oil. Wary that it was a dangerous chemical spill or weapons test gone wrong, I dipped a bottle into it and tried to sample it without getting any on my hands. We continued puttering through this ocean of brown for miles before it eventually dropped away behind us as abruptly as it had appeared. I went ashore with my sample and intended to ask customs agents about it. The other sailors at the dock were oblivious. They'd not seen anything like it on their passage, never in their years of sailing these waters. But luckily, a wizened old man at the dock set me straight before I went insane with conspiracy theories. Turns out we just caught the Great Barrier Reef in its annual orgy, the brown color to the water was the spore of the reef that it releases all at once across the entire continental shelf of Australia. In this year, in Queensland, we had calm weather with little churning to dissipate the massive cloud of life.
Years ago, when I was backpacking across Western Europe, I was just outside Barcelona hiking in the foothills of Mount Tibidabobo. I was at the end of this path, and I came to a clearing, and there was a lake very secluded, and there were tall trees all around. It was dead silent, gorgeous. And across the lake I saw a beautiful woman bathing herself, but she was crying. I hesitated, watching, struck by her beauty, and also by how her presence, the delicate curve of her back, the dark sweep of her hair, the graceful length of her limbs, even her tears, added to the majesty of my surroundings. I felt my own tears burning behind my eyes, not in sympathy, but in appreciation of such a perfect moment. She spied me before I could compose myself, but she didn't cry out. Instead, our eyes held and she smiled, and enigmatically, fresh tears still spilling down her cheeks. I was frozen. I knew nothing about this woman, and yet, as we stood on opposite sides of a pool of water, thousands of miles from my own home and everyone I had ever known, I felt the most intense connection, not just to her, but to the earth, the sky, the water between us, and also to the entirety of mankind, as if she symbolized thousands of years of the human condition. I wanted to go to her, to comfort her, to probe this feeling of belonging I had never encountered before, but couldn't, because I knew that if I spoke, if she spoke, that moment would be ruined, and I knew I would need the memory of that moment to carry me through the inevitable dark patches throughout my life, and so I watched her lower her hand, turn, and slowly walk to the shore opposite me. The rest of her perfect form was gradually revealed to me, and I held my breath as I watched her disappear behind a copse of trees near the water. I didn't follow her, in fact I turned around. I knew there was nothing else we could experience together that would be more perfect than that moment, and it still remains the most profound experience of my life. I used to work at a movie theater downtown. I usually would get off around 1 a.m. when the buses would have already stopped running, and on one such night, while I was crossing over one of the many bridges on foot, I decided to take a shortcut. I miscalculated because I was fairly new to the area and ended up under the bridge where there was a large homeless camp. Anyways, I was trying to see if I could salvage the shortcut as opposed to backtracking when I noticed that I was being followed. I'm a pretty nervous person, a type who is always looking over my shoulder when out walking at night. When I did, I saw someone less than 20 yards back under another small footbridge, peering out behind a pylon. At first, I just thought it was someone who didn't want to be seen or was paranoid, but I noticed that as I walked, I would see them making an effort to catch up to me. I immediately whipped out my cell phone to call my girlfriend just so that I could be on the phone with someone. No answer. As I was pretending that I was on the phone, I noticed that they had kind of back off and were now keeping a longer distance, maybe 30 yards or so. The shortcut came to a dead end with a highway on one side and the river on the other. I was going to have to backtrack and go right by the person. I turned around and postured up as well as got really loud on my fake phone call. I saw them go back to, to their pillar and kind of hang out behind it. As I approached the footbridge, I was staring right at the pillar and could see the guy in the shadow, 
looking right back at me. At about fifteen or so yards from the footbridge, I dead sprinted past him without stopping to look back for about a full minute. After getting back on the right course, I came across about five cop cars with police officers and key nine, all looking around in the homeless camp. One officer stopped me because I was still kind of power-walking looking disgruntled. He searched me and then said that there was someone with a knife that had just stabbed two people and was in the area. I told the officer what had just happened and then walked home and cracked a cold one. Last hunting season, I was running solo in the backcountry. The area I was in had burned in the 90s, so there were a lot of dead trees in the burn scar. The first night out there, I was woken up to a very loud but distant roaring sound around 2-3 a.m. Aside from the obvious reasons to be freaked out, there was a wildfire around 30 miles to the south of me burning its way north. At first, I thought the sound was one of the DC-10 fire tankers flying over as the sound was getting steadily louder. All of a sudden, there were extremely loud, booming noises that sounded like bombs going off echoing up the canyon, and the roaring ramped up to almost deafening. It was a windstorm tearing through the canyon I was in. The explosion-like sounds were dead trees getting blown over. I heard a couple dozen trees crashing to the ground before the wind passed. I was sure the trees around me were going to be falling on top of me, even though they weren't dead. Didn't sleep for the rest of the night. One time I was solo camping and I had my first lucid dream. Nightmare that ended up not being lucid for a bunch of it. The reason I mention it was because it took place at the spot I was camping. In the dream, I woke up to people rustling and a voice speaking incredible lowly and slowly in Latin or something, and I immediately got up and unzipped my tent and saw nothing. And then quiet, and after like two minutes of sitting there, terrified, I opened and got out to see my family frozen. Eyes wide open, staring behind me where I previously checked, and I turned around in the face of this grotesque horned demon, which was these deep purple and black, and as soon as I made eye contact, I froze from fear with that feeling of adrenaline you get when that happens. And just with stick starting in this thing's eyes, and my family, and this one man, I didn't recognize silently, almost hovered next to me, all frozen not able to control ourselves in this demon's gaze, and then without break-eye contact, he pointed to my left, and then in this bizarre, deep, and powerful, but quiet voice, he told us to go to the house. So right spooky nightmare woke up in an insane sweat from a combination of craziest and most recent nightmare of my life and being in a sleeping bag. But what really kick it is, I almost forgot about the thing two hours later, had already had some jerky for breakfast, packed everything up, and wandered around with my pack enjoying this morning. Before I headed home, and not fifteen minutes later, I came across an abandoned house that had no reason, being where we were for so many reasons. And as I saw this abandoned house froze, staring at it, I managed to walk at it directly, not even at an off angle. I felt like the demon from my dreams might as well have been in that house staring at me. And after what seemed like ages, I ran in the opposite direction, 
past my sight and back where I originally came from, towards the nearest trail, a mile or two away. I don't know how my unconscious mind would have known there was a house there to put it into my dream. I hope it was the most terrifying coincidence of my life. I have always wondered what would have happened if I went into that house. While camping, my then boyfriend and I decided to go on a night hike. We were near a large lake and knew that there was a really idyllic meadow somewhere along it. It had snowed recently, so everything was really pristine and quiet. Expecting a fairly tranquil experience, we both took a low-dose acid. We knew it was, since we had done tabs from the same slip before. To get the full effect of the night sky... We opted not to use flashlights and just let our eyes acclimate to the dark. Things went well for a while. The lake was beautiful, reflecting a full moon with untouched soft snow or sand on the bank. However, as we left the banks to walk further into the forest for the aforementioned meadow, the mood sort of shifted. It may have just been the acid. It had already started to hit while we walked along the lake but the quiet suddenly felt stifling and every sound or movement stood out a lot more. People in comments before me have mentioned a feeling of dread or being unwelcome, and I'd say I definitely experienced that. Since I was on acid, I figured the best thing to do was to just ignore it and be positive, lest I give in to a bad trip. But as we walked further, everything felt heavier around me and all I wanted to do was stop and look around. Being the easily spooked and borderline superstitious person that I am, I somehow thought that I definitely should not look over my shoulder. I walked resolutely, keeping my eyes on my feet, when I started to hear footsteps that just barely didn't align with what I'd expect from an echo. They were coming from behind me and my boyfriend was ahead of me. All I could think to myself was, you're on acid, just chill on a loop but I could just feel something just beyond my line of sight. I told myself I was being paranoid and just kept staring at my feet. Finally, we reached the meadow and it was such a relief. We were literally out of the woods and back on the safe banks of the lake. We sat on a log or something and just caught our breath and enjoyed the moment. We were barely there for a couple minutes when this thick fog rolled from the forest and lake. It moved quickly with little tendrils of fog creeping ahead, curling around the rocks and flowers at our feet. Finally, I just gave in to my paranoia and told my boyfriend we needed to leave. Now, he hadn't been as spooked as I was and actually liked the fog, but agreed to go. As we left the meadow and got onto an established exit trail back to the campsite, I looked back at the lakeside and saw a dark shape in the fog standing at the banks. That's when I absolutely noped and jogged back with my phone light and a flashlight on in my hands. Two, this one is short. A palate cleanser, if you will, towards the beginning of that hike before the acid really hit. And as we were walking along the banks, I started to hear snorting and cracking branches. I got spooked expecting a bear, unrealistic for the area, but I'd seen one while camping before or some shit and was ready to bail had my lights on ready to scare some animal away when this big-ass dog with a wagging tail and lolling tongue runs into the clearing my boyfriend and I were in. I immediately squealed in delight and opened my arms to the dog. It came at me, all licks and snuggles. 
A couple seconds after, about three more dogs run in, all different breeds. I'm in dog heaven. They're all friendly and cute, and it's killing me. We hear some short, loud whistles, and this big Santa-looking guy comes into the clearing, too. The dogs immediately heal, all relaxed. Turns out he lives off, grid nearby, and enjoys raising training dogs. They just finished their hike and were heading home in the opposite direction. The big adorable one was an Alaskan Malamut. The others were a German Shepherd, a Pit Bull, and a mixed Terrier type, all deadly cute. When I was younger, my family and I would go to this tiny town in Missouri to visit my great-grandma. The town only had about 600 residents and was one of the bigger ones in the surrounding area. While down there, we decided to visit a family-owned farm, which was about 30 minutes away by car. My grandma, at the time, was very into photography, specifically rural abandoned houses. As we were driving towards the farm, we saw an old beaten-up house that my grandma wanted to take some photos of, so we took a small detour and drove up the gravel road to the house. Being kids, my cousins and I really wanted to go and explore the inside of the house, which we were allowed to do with the exception that we weren't allowed to go to the second floor, in fear that it would cave in. My cousins and I started exploring the house, which was even worse on the inside. In the living room, there was a huge hole in the ceiling due to collapsed rotting wood. There were mushrooms growing on the carpet, and the staircase to the second floor had fallen down, removing any hope of us sneaking up there. Just as we were about to leave, my cousins and I were interrupted by my aunt, who was angrily yelling at us to get outside. Apparently, she had seen one of us standing at the window on the second floor, which she had specifically told us not to go to. After explaining that the staircase had caved in and there was literally no way of us getting upstairs, she calmed down. I asked my aunt what the person looked like, and she described it as simply looking like a dark figure of a person which I know sounds pretty in, descriptive. She also said that she assumed it was just dark inside the house, and that's why she couldn't see any features, and that the person moved away from the window once she started yelling. I don't have any pictures of the house, but I know that my grandma was using that hipstamatic app and maybe posted them to Instagram. I'd have to check. I'm sharing a personal paranormal experience that still haunts me to this day and that I've been trying to understand for a while now. A few months ago, I was staying at my cousin's farmhouse in the countryside, where I had always felt an eerie feeling, but never really thought much of it. One summer night, while lying in bed, I heard slow and deliberate footsteps outside my door. I called out to my cousin, but there was no answer. Suddenly, the doorknob began to turn, but the doorknob began to turn, but the door remained locked. As I lay there paralyzed with fear, I saw a tall and shadowy figure with piercing red eyes through the crack in the door. The figure just stood there, staring at me for what felt like hours. Eventually it vanished, but I still felt a sense of dread wash over me. I couldn't shake the feeling that something was still there with me. It took me several days to recover from the experience, and I still don't know what I saw that night. 
This encounter has left me with a newfound appreciation for the paranormal and a healthy respect for the unknown. That is why I'm posting my experience here, to those who have also experienced something similar to me. How are you feeling? Was your experience like mine? Two years ago, I was mushroom hunting in Klamath Falls, Oregon, and I was looking for my son, and I actually stood a little ways from a Bigfoot as he came down the hillside. The sound of his footsteps I'll never forget. He tried to break the branches off trees to get away from me, but I kept talking, and he was very interested in listening, but something spooked him, and he ran off. So I just got home, and it's dark outside, and I look up, and there a light going across the sky, kind of slow, but also kind of fast, maybe, a little faster than an airplane. But it didn't have a blinking light on, and it was very bright. If I'm not mistaken, it's illegal to fly a plane without a blinking light on. And then I look, and there are five or six more light behind it, but they're not as bright, and they're going a little slower. Then out of nowhere, the bright one just disappears, and then so does a few of the dim ones. And then one of the dim ones stops and starts like shaking and going back and forth, and then they all just disappear. I thought maybe it was a military thing, or maybe drones, but I don't think drones can be as bright as that one UFO I saw. What do you guys think it was? I used to live in the middle of nowhere. I would go on walks with my newborn to calm him down day or night. We had a mile-long private road that ran along a national forest. There are very few, if any, dangerous type animals, so I, I felt relatively safe taking these walks. One night, my baby was very fussy, and so he was whining quite a bit, as fussy babies do. I put on my baby carrier, strapped him in and off we went. This carrier allowed me to be hands-free on our walks, and he laid against my chest so he was comfortable and could still look around a bit. We were walking along in the dark with the flashlight off as the moon was bright when I heard noises in the woods. I soon realized we were being stalked, though the only animals that might behave that way in that area would be coyotes, and it's extremely rare they would attack an adult. I started talking loudly. Nothing important, just describing things around me in a tone that was loud but wouldn't scare my baby. I heard them shifting in the woods as I walked along, so I turned my flashlight to the woods, and sure enough, I saw a set of eyes glowing back at me. I can only assume they thought to see if they could get my baby. They must have recognized his noises as a much smaller creature they could take advantage of. We finished the walk without incident, though they continued to stalk us for quite a ways. I've run across coyotes many. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. 
Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Times, and they've not always shown fear, but they've never followed me like that before or since. There wasn't much I could do either. If I ran, they might have attacked, and I'm not sure how many there were. And I was already on the way back, so continuing to walk while making my own loud noise seemed the thing to do. I often wonder how long they were there before I noticed. I think that's the most creepy thing about it for me. I took a gun each time after that, but I never saw or heard anything again. Went to college in South Georgia, and possibly the creepiest thing I came across was twofold. Some friends and I went camping in the woods a few miles outside of town and used a game trail we found to get to a decent clearing. On the way, we found what looked like an after-prom night party. Two broken couches, empty bottles, and some used condoms. That wasn't super weird until we found what looked to be a few dozen empty shell casings and holes in said gotch. Fast forward eight hours and a good twenty-minute drive to another area, and we are settling in for the night eating some soup and cornbread. That's when we hear what sounded like a mix between a dog growling and a bobcat growl. We looked out into the trees and saw nothing for a solid minute. So we figure it was nothing and go back to eating. Until an hour later, when we hear it again, only closer, and when we start looking into the dark, my buddy pointed to a pair of green eyes staring right at us. Couldn't make out the shape other than it had to be on four legs. It stared at us for a bit, and then turned and moved away without a sound. We didn't want to trick the three miles back to the truck, so we stuck it out and hoped for the best. I was at my friend's house, who lived in a pretty rural area. It wasn't miles between houses or anything, but there was a lot of forest and land behind all the houses, and a good size of distance between houses. The closest house to his was across the street. His other neighbors were a good distance away, along a windy road. We would go through the woods frequently, exploring and just having fun. One day we were out for a few hours, and it was starting to get dark. We had hit up a bunch of places neither he or I had been to, and at that point it was time to head home. Unfortunately, the path we took got us into some more unfamiliar territory. We were walking down what had once been an old river or stream. That was tried up, and a giant tree fell onto you across it. We made our way around the tree and started to climb up when we heard gunshots. 
We chalked it up to someone hunting in the distance because it was definitely not close. But we started to hustle to get up the bank. It was getting much darker by this point, and we were tired. Then we heard more gunshots, and this time they were closer. Then dogs barking. I think those were scarier than the gunshots, honestly, especially since those were definitely getting closer and quickly. We started to book it as fast as we could through this unfamiliar area, listening to dogs catching up to us. I don't think the shots were going off anymore, thankfully, but we were not extremely far from the pursuing pups. Thankfully, we got to the road. It was dark and getting darker by the moment. We stopped run and just hiked up the road towards his house. It probably took us ten minutes to get home. It was obviously his neighbor, since we ended up on their property. But it was still creepy that someone was shooting at and sending their dogs after us. It was a quiet night in suburban Maryland, and I was settling in for a relaxing evening at home after a long day at work. As I lounged on the couch, flipping through channels, I suddenly heard the sound of glass shattering in the kitchen. My heart raced as I realized someone was breaking into my home. Before I could react, I felt a sharp pain in my neck and my vision blurred. I struggled to stay conscious, but my body betrayed me, and I slipped into darkness. When I awoke, I found myself lying on a cold, metallic surface in a dimly lit room. Panic surged through me as I realized I wasn't in my home anymore. I struggled to sit up, my head spinning, and that's when I saw him, Navy SEAL Tom. Tom was a tall, imposing figure with a chiseled jaw and piercing blue eyes. He was bound to a similar metallic surface, and despite his restraints, he appeared calm and collected. As our eyes met, he spoke in a hushed tone. Hey, stay calm. We've been abducted, but I have a plan to get us out of here. I tried to process his words as I looked around the room, seeing other terrified people restrained just like us. The thought of being abducted by aliens was horrifying, but Tom's presence and his confidence gave me a glimmer of hope. As we whispered to each other, Tom explained that he had been tracking these extraterrestrial beings for some time. They had been abducting humans for unknown reasons, and he had finally managed to get close enough to be taken with the hope of gathering intel and possibly putting an end to their nefarious activities. Tom revealed that he had a small, concealed blade hidden in his boot. With immense effort, he managed to free one of his hands and retrieve the blade. He swiftly cut through his restraints and moved to free me and the others in the room as we worked together to free the remaining captives. Tom instructed us to stay low and quiet, ready to follow his lead. He stealthily opened the door to the room and peered down the dimly lit corridor. The walls were lined with strange glowing symbols that seemed to pulsate with a life of their own. We followed Tom through the alien ship, our hearts pounding in our chests. The vessel was a labyrinth of twisting corridors and eerie chambers, but Tom navigated it with incredible skill. Eventually, we reached what appeared to be the ship's control room. Tom wasted no time in scanning the alien technology, quickly deciphering their language and controls. He discovered that the ship was programmed to return to Earth, and he set it on an immediate course back to our planet. As the ship hummed to life, Tom led us to the escape pods, explaining that it was too risky to remain on the vessel during re-entry. 
We all climbed into the pods, our hearts racing, and braced ourselves for the wild ride back to Earth. The escape pods jettisoned from the alien ship, hurtling through the atmosphere at breakneck speed. As we touched down, we were greeted by a team of military personnel who had been tracking the alien ship. They helped us from the pods, and we were quickly whisked away to a secure location for debriefing. I couldn't believe what had just happened. The nightmare of being abducted by aliens was over, and I owed my life to Navy SEAL Tom. He had risked everything to infiltrate the alien ship and save us, and I knew I would be forever grateful. In the aftermath, Tom continued his work, hunting down any remaining extraterrestrial threats. As for me, I returned to my quiet suburban life, forever changed by the experience. A fellow firefighter who moved to Anchorage that was a friend had a surprising encounter with his wife and his buddy. And his buddy's wife on two quads. They were on two ATVs and it was on Revilla Island, about 12 miles north of Ketchikan. It was the bottom of the Brown Mountain Road and it was the scene of a pretty hair-raising encounter with what really seemed to have been an irate Sasquatch, which reportedly chased these two couples who were four-wheeling down Brown Mountain in August two years ago, that's August 2011, and I'll just call him Curtis. He's a personable 27-year-old Ketchikan outdoorsman. He's moved up to Anchorage now, and he worked here in retail and did EMT and firework firefighting in his off hours. He was able to give these details, which I corroborated with the other witnesses. In Curtis' words, basically, I'll just read my recording. On the evening of August 26, 2011, I was with my girlfriend and another couple on two four-wheelers. We were having an evening ride on the Brown Mountain Road to the top of the clear cut that's 3,000. That's up near, maybe 1,500 feet. We had parked our trucks around 8 p.m. at the paintball gravel quarry, halfway along the road that's still closer to sea level. Some miles away, and we rode our four-wheelers to Harriet Hunt Lake and all around the area before going up the Brown Mountain Road sometime around 11 p.m up to the top of the mountain for a while, then back down. It wasn't raining, and we had moonlight, so we just kept riding until 11.45 p.m., and then turned around to come back down. My friends were ahead of us, and we were just trying to see how far down the road we could coast in neutral. My girlfriend and I, who is his wife now, just passed the campsite by the bridge and creek near the bottom of the road, when I thought I heard footsteps running down the road behind us, and then my girlfriend looked around and said something's chasing us. I kicked the quad into gear and accelerated over 40 miles per hour, but I could hear that it was still following us. It was fast, that's for sure. Well, he continued, it was just near the bottom of the road where Brown Mountain Road meets White River Road that I made a quick decision to slow down a bit to be able to make the turn and touch the brakes slightly and take a quick look behind us in the brake light to see what I could. It was only about 20 feet or so behind us, and I was kind of shocked that the thing was as tall as it was. It was not a bear, seven feet tall and heavily built. Here my machine does 60 at the top, and I pegged it after the corner, he said. I passed my friend on his machine. 
His machine does 70, and we raced the seven minutes back to the quarry to load up and leave quickly, you know. I just, at this point, I just want to add with Tanner, the friend. He had no idea at this point what was going on. Only that Curtis and his fiancée, or his girlfriend, were tearing past him. On the way, I could hear our girlfriend's voice over the engines, urging us to go faster. I pulled up just ten seconds behind him. Tanner weighs 260 pounds, and he was lifting his 300-pound machine onto the open bed of his truck by himself as soon as I pulled up. He was helping me. Well, while we were loading my four-wheeler onto my truck, our girlfriends had taken my small tactical flashlight, and they'd been shining it back down the road where we come and all around, and he said. I believe they were both talking about what we'd seen chasing us, and I heard the word Bigfoot. As they showed the light, I noticed three surprising things. First, he said, there was a big black bear in the paintball part of the quarry. The local paintball club uses it, about 35 yards away. And there was another, this is quite remote, and there was another smaller bear less than 20 yards away. These are both black bears coming slowly out of the bush on our side of the road. That would have been close to a valley drop off that goes down 500 feet at the edge of the drop, off to the valley in the east. At that moment, I was still trying to strap my quad onto the truck bed, and Tanner and our girlfriends were standing right beside me. They were scanning the beam back and forth when I heard some kind of gravel noise down the road, and the girls screamed. I looked in the direction of the beam, and I was really shocked to see a tall, heavy shape standing in the middle of the road about 40 yards back the way we'd come. It was right on the road in front of a big waterfall area. It was exactly the size and shape of the thing that had chased us down Brown Mountain Road, about seven feet tall, but it would have had to have been running 40 to 45 miles an hour to have got to where we were loading. I measured it out myself later, you know, 3.5 miles. It was really, it all matched. Well, the data confirmed it when the light hit it, it dropped to a football player's stance. It was kind of bobbing up and down with one hand on the road and the other on its knee. At that time, the smaller black bear behind us that had just come out of the bush turned around and took off back into the bush, over the edge like, I want to get out of here. Everything was happening all at once. As the girls turned for the truck, I could see the beam hit the big bear in the paintball area, and it was going crazy knocking barrels over and crashing into things trying to get away from us, or the big flipping thing. So Curtis summed it up, he said. The girls jumped in the trucks, and they were yelling at us to get in, and both Tanner and I started to drive off. In almost the same second, Tanner had to stop for ten seconds to throw his ramps in the back, and I looked back to see the thing. But there wasn't enough light, and I was focusing on getting out of there. We didn't stop at all. On the way back, my girlfriend and I talked about it. We both agreed that it had to have been a Bigfoot we saw. We talked with Tanner and his girlfriend back in Ketchikan, and they agreed. That was it, he told me. I'll be back there for deer hunting, and I'll be carrying a camera, he said. What happened to us may sound amazing, but those are the straight facts as best as I can describe them, he says. I've seen documentaries of Sasquatches on television, and you have to say that the creature observed there twice the evening of August 26 matched the general description of a Bigfoot.
This story is from around five, six years ago when I was a teenager, but I still remember it clearly. For some context, this was a wooded area near my hometown in the United Kingdom that had established bike paths and people visited regularly, making it a decently known area, but still was large and had areas that no one would go to. It began when my friend and I cycled to the area to do some jumps and generally just ride around when we spotted a swing on top of a hill and decided we wanted to go up and use it. We did so and spent around an hour or two just talking and swinging and it began to get dark. My friend took off as he had to be back earlier than me and instead of leaving, I cycled around for a bit longer. I ended up cycling pretty deep into the woods until I was no longer on bike paths and instead barely visible dirt paths. I went up another pretty steep hill and this is when it happened. Below me, around 20 meters or so near the bottom of the hill, stood a man wearing a black leather gas mask, some kind of military-looking jacket, and holding a long, thick torch in his hand. The torch wasn't on, and he was just crouching down in my direction towards the hill, staring straight at the ground, and from what I could tell, he wasn't doing anything at all. But then he looked up at me. I couldn't make out if he was staring directly towards me but the cold black voids of the mask's eye sockets terrified me. I immediately nearly shit myself and leapt onto my bike. As I did, I heard heavy, rough, fast breathing getting louder, and I rode as fast I could for about ten seconds before quickly looking back. He was stood still at the top of the hill, no longer chasing, but just staring at me with the same cold black eyes. I never told anyone what happened, not even any of my friends. And still, now even driving past, that place sends a chill down my spine. I know it's not a particularly amazing story, but definitely scares me still. Before starting to tell you what happened and how I got into this situation, I'd like to introduce myself a little bit. I'm 29 years old and live in Switzerland, where I work as a cop. Basically, it's like 911. Someone calls, then dispatch sends us for all kind of interventions. Sometimes things you see in that job changes your perspectives of what's normal. You meet all kind of people, and sometimes weird places, too. But in general, my country is safe, and I almost never carry my gun home, unless I go training at the shooting range. Also, and because it's linked to my story, I love music and driving cars. It helps me clear my mind and makes me feel good. Some time ago, I met a club of car enthusiasts, and from time to time, we meet and do little road trips across the country. I'm also a very chill and calm person, and I always try to find a peaceful solution to anything, especially at work. I try to always see good in people and prefer talking to them. Okay, here starts my story. Last year, 2022, I went on a road trip with a nice guy. I met through the car club. Let's call him Robert to keep anonymity. That trip was really cool and we drove almost all night. Felt like playing NFS, which was great because the lights of cities looked beautiful at that time and I'm more of a night owl. After that trip, we said we'll stay in touch to make another trip someday. Weeks passed when suddenly I got a message on WhatsApp. Hi, it's been a while. How are you? Still up for a little trip. Tell me when you're free. 
When I saw the message, I directly checked my schedule and found a free day. I sent him back. Hey, yeah, sure, I'm free on. Let me know if it works for you, too, he answers. Okay, works for me, too. Where do you want to hike? Then I was confused. Why is he talking about hiking? I checked again the message and noticed it was written by another Robert, too. From my contacts, not only did I mistaken the dudes by their names, but also because their profile pictures on WhatsApp looked alike. The guy that contacted me was an old acquaintance I met through some of my friends when I did some DJ set parties. It was a few years ago, and we were both passionated by the same music. Then, from time to time, we bumped through each other at concerts. So I had just planned a day with this guy I'm mistaken for someone else. I felt bad and didn't want to cancel because although it wasn't the person I thought, that guy was nice too and it's been a while since I went for a hike in the woods or the mountains. So I was like, yeah, why the hell not? Then we started planning the hike. I didn't want something too challenging so I made a proposition. I knew a nice hike that goes through the woods and mountains. The views are beautiful, and you get to meet hikers here and there. Also, the path has multiple campfire spots where you can grill some sausages. Robert, too, agreed and asked me if it's okay for me to take him at the train station and we'll leave my car at the parking next to Woods. The day of the hike, I arrived at the train station where Robert, too, was waiting for me. I looked through the place and couldn't find him. Then he waved at me. Here I got my first red flag. The guy I knew and saw in his profile picture looked different. It was Robert, too, but he looked sloppy. He grew long hair and had a beard. I charged up his bag in my trunk and we moved. During the ride, I noticed that Robert, too, smelled bad. It's the kind of odor I smell on the job when I'm confronted with homeless people or drug addicts. But I noticed he came well equipped for the hike, which means he wasn't in a no-money situation. So I decided to not judge him because of his body odor and to ignore it. Besides, we'll be in the woods so outside I wouldn't notice that. We stopped at a shop near the woods to get some fire starters, and that's when Robert asked me if I was up to change the hike because he knew another location close to the one I have chosen. And that had some nice spots for pictures. We both carried good cameras. I'm good with a map, and I checked it on my special app. The hike was the same length as mine, but it went near a river, which I found really nice. Okay, let's go check that. Finally, we parked my car and arrived at the forest. I saw some old barns there and little fields for cows. Our little trip started. During the hike, I was questioning Robert on his life to catch up time. I already knew he was a smart guy who did engineering school, but I learned he moved up from our city and found some job at a construction company where he does all kind of calculus to build stuff. Then the more I learned about his life, the more I felt something was odd. Robert started telling me he has a girlfriend, but they are going through some hard times and he thought she might leave him soon. Then he continued saying that he missed some days at work because he felt depressed and because he, he wasn't sure it pleased him anymore. He said he might get fired. I was trying to cheer him up and keep him focused on good stuff and advised him to consult if necessary. He asked me about my job and how I react with dangerous people and stuff like that. 
I wasn't reassured by all this conversation, but I always get all kind of questions from people, so I can't tell I was shocked. Also, during the walk, you sometimes looked a bit off, like a robot. At some point near the river, we found what looked like ruins from an old mild around 1920-1880, I'd say so. It was a cool spot, and I took a pick or two. But we didn't see any people on our path, and the sky got cloudy, and it started to rain a bit. Luckily, I was well equipped. I carried everything you need in this kind of places. Water, food, fire starters, first aid, and a knife. We kept moving until we found a campfire spot with a wooden table. We decided to stay there and eat. I asked Robert to get some wood while I'll set up the table and look for little branches to maintain the fire. Robert puts his bag on the table and starts to show me tools he got with him. He grabs a big handsaw, puts it on the table. Then he takes out two knives. One of them was a really big one. Switzerland's law is permissive regarding knives, in my opinion. I was surprised to see this kind of knife because it's a three hours hike and we're not staying there for the night, nor hunting something. So I decided to pull out the knife out of the knife holster I had attached on my belt to go get the branches. Robert looked at me and then he said something in a surprised tone that froze me to the bones. Oh, you took a knife too. Immediately my mind started racing. Two, what does this mean? Why wasn't I supposed to get a knife when we planned to go into the woods and make a campfire? Robert suddenly leaves to get what I ask him, and I got an uneasy feeling. It's like my whole body was in alert mode, saying me something is going on. I'm used to be around dangerous people at the job, but it's different when you're working fully equipped. Bulletproof vest, gun, paper spray. And you're with your partner in the situation I was in right now. I mean... We were alone in the woods, and we didn't see anyone on the path. From that moment, I decided to keep both my eyes on Robert and keep him in sight all the time, especially his hands. That's what you learn at the police academy. People always use their hands to do harm. Moreover, I decided to keep a minimum distance in case he tries to do something. A few minutes later, Robert comes back, puts all the branches he grabbed from trees, his knife still in his hand. He looked straight at me and just stands there. Suddenly he said, I'm sorry. His tone felt empty of emotions. Immediately I got up and looked at him. I was sure he was going to run at me and try something bad. I got a rush of adrenaline. Then he started to mumble something. I could barely understand. We're both here in the woods. Alone. We got knives. I'm sorry. What does he mean? Why does he act that weird? Then Robert continues. Let's hug. My body gave me even more alerts. Why does he want to get close to me while he is holding a knife in his hand? Is he trying to do something bad? Why would I hug him out of nowhere? Then my mind told me I've got to get out of this situation quickly, but without making him suspicious. I wanted to leave this place and go home. I finally replied like nothing happened. No worries, man. Let's make that fire. Eat something so we can get home before going completely wet. But I didn't want to get close to Robert. I asked him to get more branches because the ones he got me were wet. I took the rain as my opportunity. After he came back, I told him the fire starters didn't work well in the rain and it might be a better option to pack our stuff and head back to the parking. He first looked skeptical and disappointed, but agreed. We packed everything and left the place. 
I didn't want to talk to him on our way back, but I didn't want him to notice something was odd, so I just kept talking like nothing happened. From that moment, his tone changed a bit, seemed colder to me. I kept him in my sight. After all, we were still alone in the woods. He kept being very negative towards life and people. It made me think he maybe was in some way. I was happy I did not carry my gun that day because I was afraid he might try to do something because of that. Once we got back to the parking where I finally saw people, he asked me if I could give him a ride. I refused arguing. I just got an urgent call from someone and needed to leave. After all that, I kept asking myself, was he trying to do something? Was he just afraid by the situation? Maybe it was odd for him, even though we knew each other and even partied together. Was he planning something? I mean, we were alone, in a place he knew better than me, and he was a really smart guy. All I can tell you is that I blocked him after that and decided to contact our common friend. I knew he was close to Robert, so I explained him the whole situation. My friend told me that Robert was going through some depression and was feeling bad lately. I told him that I can't do anything legally to help him without his consent, but I advised my friend to call him and make him see someone. A few weeks after my friend had a discussion with Robert, and apparently Robert was open to see someone about his problems. Thank you for reading my story. Let me know what you think about all this. I'm still confused to this day. I might be making my mind up, but I saw many people with similar reactions to Robert, and I'm not reassured about this. Two of my friends snuck out last summer and took a walk, listening to music. They decided to sit down on the road and talked a bit, and they both heard a distant scream that sounded pretty similar to an elk screech, but for like one second in duration. So they turned off the music and saw a huge humanoid horse. Looking things sprint out of this forest into a field, and they said it was running really fast, like 40 miles per hour. They said it was kind of hunched and had a limp, was lean but muscular, and was completely pale gray and naked. They both sprinted home and Facebooked each other when they got home and told me and a few others about it the next day. I was in disbelief, so I snuck out on my bike the next night with my other friend and met up with the two original people along with some others and went looking for it. We heard the noises they described, and I and my one friend saw a pale Bigfoot-looking creature walk in front of someone's barn light, like 300 yards away, but we're not sure. We continued to do this for a few nights, and one of them was walking to meet up with us alone to go looking for it and had seen it like five times on the walk there, sometimes like 20 feet in front of him. We probably all went looking for it six or seven times in total. The last time we went looking, we all saw it, and it was super tall, like eight, ten feet, super fast, and had these glowing eyes you could see from a mile away. I'm pretty sure I also saw it have these long, greasy, locked strands of hair about shoulder length. It looked like a mix between a crawler, Aaron Yeager Titan form, and Jeff the Killer. It was creepy. Then it was on the pavement. You could hear clopping noises like it had hooves or something. Aside from this, I was on a late-night gas station walk later that summer with two of my friends at three in the morning. On our way back, we saw something run hobble across the road about 70 yards in front of us, and it looked pretty similar. However, it was much smaller, 
maybe five feet tall, but I could see it being maybe seven feet if it was standing fully upright. This was in rural northeast Ohio. I forgot to add that we were walking on the way back to my friend's house one of the nights and behind somebody's house. We heard the noise of a baby crying in the woods. I couldn't have been mistaken for anything else but a baby. As soon as you bat an eye at that thing, he went zoom. You had to be looking in the right place at the right time. Half the people would see it and be like, oh, there he is. The other half would look over and he'd be gone. I don't think he was a crawler, since those are slow. This dude was super quick. My first thought when I heard my friend explain it with Wendigo, it could have been, not sure. I've seen its full body a few times, and the first time it was sprinting like 60 miles per hour in a field propelling itself with its front legs, and its back legs were really short and limp like Rex arms. I don't believe it was hairy, but I do recall seeing some long, greasy locks about shoulder length. There's a movie I remember seeing on Netflix called Sorry to Bother You, and in the movie, there are these tall, green-looking humanoids with horse heads who used to be people but took a drug, and it turned them into horse people. Look it up. It looked similar, mixed with a crawler and about 10 or 15 feet tall standing. I remember seeing it next to a ranch house, and it was easily taller than the house. I would describe the way it runs as somewhat like a chicken. 